Hi, I'm June, and I'm an alcoholic. This is a big room. All right, 7.25. Okay. Um, My sobriety date is September 19th, 2008. Um, So I'm coming up on a birthday that's really exciting. I have a sponsor, and my sponsor has a sponsor. And um, like you said, my home group is Saturday Night Live. So uh, 15 minutes is pretty short, but I think I can do it. I grew up in Stone Mountain in Gwinnett. I lived in the metro area all my life, um, but we moved around very, very frequently. And um, I was raised in a family that was uh, very kind of cut off from the normal world for religious reasons. So I didn't have a normal support system, and I didn't really know very much about the normal, like, everyday society that people who grew up in a normal family might, like, we couldn't watch TV shows or listen to regular music. We watched a lot of Andy Griffith marathons on TV. Yeah. Um, And so... Half the time, I didn't even know it was abnormal, so that messed up any possibility that I had at, like, social friendships or whatever when I was younger. And then by the time I hit 13, 14, 15, um, I became very rebellious and um, isolated and resentful. Um, So the only support system that I did have prior to that point, which was my immediate family, I sort of distanced myself from them, too. And I know that I always had a disease of perception. Um, I still have a disease of perception, but uh, it was... It was incredibly evident even before I took my first drink, which happened at 13. Uh, One of the neighbors, uh, I was hanging out with this girl and uh, trying to make another friend, you know, trying, and it never seemed to work out. I didn't have good social skills, Um, but her parents just started giving us shots of liquor. So I liked it. Yeah. And looking back, you know, who who would do that? Um, but I didn't say no. I drank up everything they had and uh, continued to drink any chance I got after that. And then I would select social relationships based on you know, are you old enough to get alcohol or do your parents have a good liquor stash? Um, so that sort of changed my perception also because I didn't have any idea that there was a different way to live Um, because the people that I moved towards were doing the same things that I was doing. And um, so by 15, I didn't connect my depression with my drinking, Um, but I was incredibly depressed, isolated, hopeless. I felt there was no joy to be had in life in my entire future ahead of me. And this was at 15 years old. And I attempted suicide. 
Um, and something about that really sort of, I think my mom kind of just gave up. And that affected our relationship and things changed drastically. And um, by 16, because she was angry and she was hurt, obviously. Um, by 16, I was drinking every single day with a boyfriend. Um, I moved out of the house at 17. And I was basically on my own, you know, and doing pretty well at it, considering the fact that I was drinking every single day and blacking out. And because I didn't have a, gra a grasp on re reality, um, I didn't know that blackouts were a problem. I just thought it was a normal, everyday thing, because uh, it was for me. So, uh, somehow, even though I would miss, if, if I were in high school now, missing 25, 30 days, I would lose a license. I wouldn't get into college, but they didn't have the same restrictions then. So, I missed 25, 30 days of high school and graduated with high honors. <laughs> and that doesn't make any sense. And I realize now that... Um, that was just my higher power looking out for me because even though I tried so hard to destroy myself, um, I am alive and I have a really good life today, which is not by my own doing because I tried incredibly hard to destroy myself. The suicide attempt at 15 was not the only one. I tried at least two more times. Um, and it wasn't until my mid-20s that I gave up on suicide. Um, and, you know, that's not funny. It's not, but um, I think <clears throat> the first time I really, really wanted to live, I was in treatment, and I had been in treatment for six months. And this scary thing happened. Our treatment center was located in not the best side of town in Lawrenceville. And these people drove by real slow at night while I was walking to an 11 o'clock meeting. And one guy was hanging out the window. And the girl I was with, we really thought we were going to be in a drive-by. And I wanted to dive and save my life. And I was like, that's the first time I felt that way. <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, it wasn't a drive-by. I don't know what it was. Um, so... Uh, I did go to college. I did succeed in college, even though outside of class I was drinking, again, daily, a lot, blacking out, embarrassing myself, um, constantly trying to balance the idea of work hard, play hard that I thought you were supposed to do. Um, a lot of my life I spent trying to be and do what I thought I was supposed to be and do rather than just actually finding out about myself and what I liked and uh, who I really was. Um, so that's a really exhausting way to live because um, you never quite know if you're getting it right. So I was very insecure too. Um, and finally I ended up um, my rock bottom occurred when I was living in Manhattan, working as an attorney at a law firm. Again, I was really successful working on um, 
I think what is still the biggest IPO in U.S. history and working 80 hours a week and then drinking in the off time, which there was not very much, and I began using um, illegal substances that I had never used in my life. And at this point, I was 27, 28 years old making a decision to use drugs, um, which in my mind, that's, you know, at that point in your life, you should be well beyond making a decision to try new drugs, to experiment. Um, but I wasn't because I was drinking all the time and I, I wasn't making good decisions. So it finally brought me down to my knees. I could not make it to work. Um, and I knew I was probably going to lose my job because I couldn't make it to work. And uh, you can't keep a job you don't show up to. Um, and I was suicidal to the point where I wanted to accidentally get killed. I wanted to get hit by a cab so that my parents wouldn't be upset that I killed myself, you know, but I would be out. I wouldn't have to go through the uh, misery of being at that that jumping off point where you can't see living without alcohol and you can't continue living the way you're living with alcohol. And also, I was entirely powerless. I wanted to stop and I could not stop. I would say, I'm not going to do this again and I would do it. And I would be in the process of going to get alcohol um, or the drug, and I would be saying to myself in my head, I can't believe I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? I don't want to be doing this. I didn't want it. Um, and yet I could not physically stop my body. That's how powerless I was. Um, I reached out for help uh, because I knew I needed it, because I had tried everything I knew to try to stop, and I couldn't. And uh, I did reach out in a complete wasted state, um, which is good because my defenses were down. I was being honest and I wasn't, you know, fooling myself that I could, you know, fix it on my own. Um, so my best friend who I lived with called my parents um, who were still here in Georgia and they came and got me and like rescued me and found a treatment center that was not what I had in mind. I said, I need help, and I knew Lindsay Lohan and um, Britney Spears went to some fabulous treatment centers out in Malibu, and I wanted a chef and yoga and massages, <laughs> and they found Mars, which was <laughs> not that at all, um, and it was 90 days, and I thought 28 days at the beach was all I needed. Um, and it was in Lawrenceville, which I knew very well was not um, paradise. Uh, but I was in no position to argue. Um, the jig was up for me because I had explained what was going on. And at one point, I told my friends how much I was spending each week on uh, mind-altering substances. And then my dad said in the hospital, you know, your friends say you're spending this much. And I thought, okay, I'll cut it in half. That's, you know, that's entirely inaccurate. It is this much. 
and in retrospect, that amount was still ridiculous too. And his jaw just dropped. He's like, uh, "No, <laughs> that's not working." So I did end up at Mar, and it was the most amazing place I had ever been in my life. I came in completely unable to um, interact with people, to be honest with myself or others, um, with horrible entitlement issues, and uh, no, no connection with any higher power. And I uh, stayed at MAR 20 months. During that time, we went to five Alcoholics Anonymous meetings each week, and um, I learned to love myself and to pray every day and um, to interact with people, and I learned to let myself be loved. And the relationships that I have today are amazing. I have girlfriends, um, and we talk on the phone, and I'm not, like, trying to figure out how to be a friend. I actually am being a friend. Um, And I have older people who I can look up to, and go to for advice on how to live. I'm no longer trying to figure it all out myself. And I'm no longer um, trying to pretend to live life in a way that is like the right way. I'm just daily making decisions to do the next right thing. And when I'm not sure what the next right thing is, I have spiritual principles that I can look to, and I have a sponsor I can call, and I have a network that I can call. Um, And one of the most important things that keeps me um, grounded in this is meetings. Um, Because I constantly need to see that people love me. I can leave a meeting and wake up the next day and go to work and forget about every single person that I interacted with the night before. I can just absolutely forget that there are so many wonderful people in my life Um, but when I get up and go again it's like oh yeah this is great so um, I definitely need to go to more meetings Um, but yeah okay so I think time is up and uh, I hope that I've given some hope my life is really good now And if you want to talk about it more during the smoke break, I'll be out there.